Chapter 131 of Varney the Vampire, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Varney the Vampire, Volume 2 by Thomas Prescott Prest. Chapter 131 Mrs. Meredith's Friend, Exchange of Services and Compact. There could be no doubt in the minds of both mother and daughter that there was something much resembling a moral certainty concerning the fate of the retired colonel. That he must marry was evident. He was to all intents and purposes resolved to do so. He talked of a home and domestic comfort, and all that kind of thing. Therefore it would be easy to entangle him in the meshes of love. The snares of passion might be successfully set, and they would be sure to be productive of some sport, and even a stray colonel might be caught, one who, having had enough of wars of man, might now be considered to become a fair object of attack in those of Venus. However, there appeared much in the colonel's circumstances and disposition that laid him open to the attacks of designing matrons and maidens. He seemed to appreciate female company, was particularly well pleased with female attentions, perhaps his health required their aid more than that of any other, and he had evidently been in love, and lost the object of his earliest affections. One great thing in Margaret Meredith's favor was, the colonel had taken it into his head that she much resembled this lady, whoever she was, and this fact, no doubt, had opened his heart towards her, and he felt a kindly and perhaps a warmer feeling towards her. This, they calculated, would greatly assist them in their efforts to circumvent the colonel, and cause him to capitulate upon matrimonial conditions. "'There was never so good a chance,' said Mrs. Meredith, in the course of a day or two after the above scene. "'There never was such a chance as the one you now have.' "'What, with the colonel, ma?' "'Yes, my love, you may depend upon it. That is a very safe speculation. Why, he must be immensely rich.' I am sure that some of the jewels I have seen on his fingers must be worth thousands of pounds. He is a very rich man, there can be no doubt. Yes, Ma, he is very rich. And you will have many fine things that you have never dreamed of. Why, you will have a carriage. I should think he would never refuse you that trifle. He has not one now. Yes, that is true. He would never use it himself, and that accounts for it but when he has a wife it is quite another matter, and one which you can easily manage when you are a wife. You can do more then than you can now. Besides, you'll see how the money is spent, and it must all go through your hands, you know. That can't be helped. No, I dare say not. But, Ma, don't you think when he dies there will be a loss of the pension? And that would be a serious loss." It would, but then you will have a pension as an officer's widow, besides all his vast property, without any trouble whatever, with nobody to contradict you, that is, if he were to die. But I think he will not do that. He does not at times appear so old as one would think, and yet he is very pale. But that, I suppose, is caused by his long residence abroad in hot climates, and being exposed to the weather of all kinds, attended by wounds and sickness." No doubt he has suffered much, but he has obtained a handsome fortune, which pays for a great deal, you know, said Margaret. Undoubtedly, my dear, 
By the by, have you heard how that affair of Miss Smith has ended, and why they came in here in such a manner? Oh, it was a very shocking affair. There were some marks in her arm, which I cannot understand. It does seem very extraordinary to me. But she says she was awoke in the night by some monster sucking her blood. Dear me, who ever heard of such nonsense? I cannot but think there must have been something in it. And yet, what could have been the reason for them all to utter a falsehood, I don't know. There was, you know, the father, then the watchmen, all of whom said they saw it. At all events, they appeared to have some idea that it must have been done by someone in our house. The dressing-gown in that appeared to bewilder them. Did they say they thought so still? No, they did not do that. We spoke so positive. And I saw when I went in to see her, she was much terrified at what had occurred, and could not get up. She had a physician to attend her, who will not hear of anything that she says. Well, I think he is right. But the whole family appeared to side with her, and insist that it was no robber who made the attempt, for nothing was gone, nothing was attempted in the shape of robbery, nothing was touched or moved. Therefore there could be no common motive, they said. Well, at all events, they have made somebody very disagreeable in the family, and they had better have been quiet, but they are a disagreeable set, and I shall not go in again. You are right, my dear, they would be glad to push that minx of theirs in here, and get an acquaintance with the colonel. No, it will be safest to keep them apart. We will have as few female visitors, my dear, as possible. Not that I think you run any chance of rivalry, but you know men are such uncertain things. To be sure they are, ma, replied Margaret. Well, then, if we have no female acquaintances, you see we cannot possibly run any risk, and the matter will not be so protracted, because everything depends upon things being smooth and uninterrupted. He will be the more ready to propose and push the matter to a point. Do you think him a likely man, Ma, to marry? Certain of it, my dear, quite certain of it. I know a marrying man as soon as I see him. The colonel is decidedly a marrying man. He talks of home, domestic comfort, and all that sort of thing. And when men do that, you may be sure, if you are cautious, to catch such an one. Well, I will try. Do, my dear, it will be worth your while, it will make all our fortunes. I wonder what his money is invested in. I should like to know that, said Margaret. And so should I. Do you know, I have been thinking of that myself more than once. It will be necessary to find it out, and yet it is so delicate a matter, that I think you had better make no attempt to work it out of him. Let the affair take its own course at present. But I can hear all. Then you will act wisely, my dear, very wisely, prudently. But do no more. Hear and see all, and say nothing. Of course, I mean upon that subject alone. Now, if we proceed cautiously, we shall be sure to gain our object. I will take some method of obtaining the information I want at some future time, because it will be well to have him caught before we begin to pull tight the line, or, at least, before we begin to make any inquiries respecting his means, he must give us some cause to do so. I dare say we shall know something by accident some of these days. Perhaps at the hotel where he comes from, something may be learned by inquiry. Possibly there may, my dear, but I do not like to go there. 
At all events, they can know but little, for he has not been long in England, and would hold but little communication with such people. We must have some better plan than that to go upon, else we shall never be successful, except at the cost of some cross in our hopes we would rather have avoided. Well, Ma, you shall do as you like in this affair. I am sure you will do what is right and best for the occasion. Besides, one plan is better than two. You are right, my dear. I am, however, resolved to have a visitor. A visitor, Ma? Yes, my dear, only Mr. Twistle, the attorney. Oh, I know who you mean now, but why do you have him? He is a very funny sort of acquaintance, especially if he is to meet the colonel. I wish to meet him, my dear, for that reason. He will be able to get out of him, by some means, what he has got his money locked up in. A hint will serve him, and he can make inquiries and learn it all, and then he will, if we are successful, have a good thing of marriage settlements, and so forth. Besides, I will make an agreement with him that he shall receive a sum of money for his trouble. That will be a very good plan, certainly. Exactly, and you needn't be seen in it at all. So I think we shall be all very fairly put in the way of doing well. I shall go out this morning and call upon Mr. Twistle and have some conversation with him. He used to have some business of your father's to do, and has had much of his money, as well as a good word now and then. Dear me, who is that? There is a double knock at the door, Ma. How vexing it will be to have any one come here. I shall hate the sight of any one coming in now. Can't you see from the window who it is, my dear? No, Ma. Then we must wait until the servant comes in. The words had hardly been uttered before the servant entered, and said that Mr. Twistle wanted to speak with Mrs. Meredith if she was at home. God bless me, send him in, said Mrs. Meredith, after the first surprise was over, and then, turning to her daughter, she said, Talk of what's his name, and you are sure to see some of his friends. If I had wanted him to come, he would not have been here. Very likely, Ma, and yet you do, and he is here. At this moment Mr. Twistle made his appearance and entered the parlor. Having saluted the ladies, he proceeded to lay his hat and cane upon the table, saying, Mrs. Meredith, I dare say you are surprised to see me after so long an absence. My surprise is not greater than my pleasure, Mr. Twistle. I am very glad to see an old friend of my husband's. Pray sit down, sir. Thank you, I will. I am glad to see you look so well. I need not ask how you are, and your amiable daughter, too. She appears charming. Yes, Mr. Twistle, we are in tolerable good health, not often better. Do not let me disturb you, Miss Margaret, said Mr. Twistle, as she rose to leave the room. Oh, no, sir, not at all. I have something to attend to, if you will excuse me. Certainly, certainly. I hope I shall not be any cause of putting you to any constraint and inconvenience. At the same time, I shall not detain Mrs. Meredith long. Oh, we don't intend to lose you suddenly, said Mrs. Meredith. Anything I can oblige you in, I shall be very happy to do so, if you point out the how. Then I shall proceed to do so at once, said Mr. Twistle. I will do so at once. You see, when your late husband died, or before, he gave me several debts to collect. So I understood, said Mrs. Meredith. Exactly. I see you understand me. 
Now those debts I was to collect myself for my own benefit, he having, when he died, owed me a considerable sum of money. He assigned them to me, and I accepted them as payment of his debt due to me. I understood such to be the case, and at that point the matter was considered as settled, was it not, Mr. Twistle? said Mrs. Meredith. It was so, and is so now, as far as I know now. But I want some few papers which it is possible may be somewhere in your possession, to enable me to secure the payment of them, and without these papers I shall not be able to enforce attention. Now I want to know if you will oblige me with them if you have them by you? I will certainly look and make any search I can for them, and if I find them you shall have them, certainly. But, now I have disposed of that, will you do me a favor? Certainly, with pleasure. Well, then, Mr. Twistle, you see, there is a certain rich lodger of mine who pays certain attentions to my daughter Margaret, said Mrs. Meredith. I see, said Mr. Twistle. Well, then, he had made no positive offer yet, but we have certain expectations, you see, and in case those expectations become realized, I want to be in such a situation as to know at once what I shall do in such a case, what ought to be done. Very good, my dear madame, very good. Now, we only know from report and from appearances that he is rich. We feel quite convinced of that. He could not well be otherwise, said Mrs. Meredith. But we are anxious to know in what kind of stock or property he is likely to have invested it. Yes, I see. Well, then, all you have to do is learn what you can from himself or his friends, and then make inquiries respecting the truth of what you hear. I should be very happy in assisting to make such inquiries, or in any way you may point out. I am very much obliged to you. But, Mr. Twistle, it is a very delicate subject for females to touch upon, and, moreover, it is worse, considering how my daughter is likely to be in connection with him. It is a delicate matter, certainly. Well, now, what I wanted was this. If you would, on some occasion, I would let you know beforehand, call in and take some tea, or whatever meal happened to be at hand, and get into conversation with the colonel, and get this matter from him. Oh, he is a colonel in the army, then? Yes, but returned in bad health from the Indies. He has come only recently. Ay, ay, I see. You have a nabob, I see. That will be a very handsome settlement for your daughter, my dear madame, a very handsome settlement. Yes, it will. Well, it is handsome, but there are drawbacks, you see. Oh, age and ill health. Exactly, they are drawbacks, you see, that are not always to a young female's taste. No, no, but then my daughter is a reasonable young woman, Mr. Twistle and would not object to a good fortune because there was a kind, though perhaps, elderly gentleman for a husband. Oh, dear no, sir, I have no apprehensions of that character. She will be good and obedient, especially when she knows that it is all for her good. Besides that, you see, the colonel, though an invalid, is not so very old, and is a most pleasant, and I must say, fascinating gentleman to converse with, so that she can have no personal objection." and besides, from what I can observe, I have reason to believe that the colonel is by no means disagreeable to her. Then I am sure it is a very handsome prospect for her, and one that might have been long in happening to one who had a better fortune to aid her. 
Yes, indeed, it might. Well, then, if I can aid you, command my services. In this respect you may do me much good, but I do not, as it will be some little loss of time to you, desire you should do so for nothing. If we succeed and all is comfortable, you shall have a hundred pounds soon after the marriage, say three months. Very well, I am quite willing to accept the terms, and should I be wanted at any time, perhaps you will let me know as long before as possible. I will do so. And then, when I next come, perhaps you'll be able to hand me the papers, and be ready to sign some agreement which I will get ready for the purpose. Very well, I will do it. I am much obliged to you, said Mr. Twistle. However, I suppose, when I am introduced to the colonel, I am only to come in as an old friend of the family? Exactly so. That will be by far the best character to assume, because you may be anything. Besides which, when matters come to a point proper for interference, you can do so the more easily, and with more effect, and he also will be less inclined to quarrel and at the same time he can have less objection to do so, which, you see, is a little better. I see, said the attorney, rising. And now, as we have settled this business so far, I will bid you good afternoon, as I have some business elsewhere this evening, which I must get finished. After exchanging greetings, the attorney quitted the house of Mrs. Meredith without further remark. End of chapter 131 End of Barney the Vampire, Volume 2 of 3, by Thomas Prescott Prest.